Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as our kids head back with Miss Rhonda, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and go to Genesis. Now, if you're here for the very first time and you've never opened up a Bible, man, are you in luck today, all right? So go to page one. Actually, I mean, that may not be entirely true, but the Genesis is the very first book. We're going to be in the very first chapter as we begin a series that will really take us up all the way, uh, well, all the way to Advent, which somebody said is, uh, Christmas is like 19 uh, weekends away, all right? So I'm sure if you go into Hobby Lobby, it's already decorated like Christmas. Um, I, I'm staying, I, I'm trying to stay away because I already have an addiction, and I know that that's not a good place for me to be yet. So um, as, as I've joked before, I have a firm date uh, where Christmas season for me begins on November 1st. All right, so I'm, I'm trying, and I try to hold off because, y'all, we were, in, we were in Hobby Lobby in July, and they had Christmas decorations out. And, uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's like feeding an addiction to me, so um, I, I got to be, gotta be careful there. Um, no, we're, we're going to go through Genesis, and, and we're, we're going to do this a little bit differently than we would do most uh, letters or most books in the Bible, and that we're not going to cover every single chapter, every single verse. Instead, what we're going to do is focus on... Uh, some of the major characters within the book of Genesis. And, and I've simply titled the series, Characters and Chaos. If you're not familiar with the book of Genesis, I think you'll, that will become evident why that's the name of the book. All right? Because um, what we're going to see is that these characters, without exception, well, uh, w- with the exception of the one we're going to talk about today, the, without exception otherwise, these characters had some pretty messed up lives. But what we're going to see is that God's grace is greater than our gaffes. His mercy is bigger than our mess. And, and what we're going to see throughout Genesis is that God loves to work in and through messed up people. And I think he loves to do that so that we might know, so that we might come to understand that he is great and that we are not. And in fact, I think Genesis is going to illustrate a, a truth for us that, that Paul recognizes in, in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 4-7, Paul says this. He says, now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Now that's in the New Testament, right? Written several thousand years after the events of Genesis. And yet, it rings true. And I would say it still rings true for us today as well. God has given us a great gift in showing us his grace. He's given us a wonderful gift in the gospel. And we experience it and we proclaim it in, as Paul writes here in the New Testament, in clay jars. We experience this in fragile bodies, right? Because if you're, if you're so I'm, I've learned that there's kind of two stages of life. All right, you used to think like there was, you know, teenagers and adolescents. No, 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 no. There, there are two stages of life. There are, there's the stage of life before you've ever injured yourself sleeping and everything after that, okay? So, like, there comes a t- point where you wake up, right, and, and it's like, what did I do? I slept 
and, and something, something's wrong, right? That, that's, a, that, that's, the, that's the stage of life that, that I've entered, apparently. Um, but but we, we learn that life is fragile, that these bodies are fragile. And yet, we see that God has given us a wonderful gift called life. That the more of life we experience, oftentimes the, the, the less physically capable we become. And so God, God shows us all of this in order that we might declare not that we are great, not that we are awesome, but that he is great and he is awesome. And so if you will go with me to Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read all of chapter 1 and into the first three verses of chapter 2. And this will introduce us to the central character throughout the Bible, and that is simply God, all right? So over the next 30 minutes, I'm going to try to uh, introduce God to us, all right? I mean, you know, scholars and theologians have been doing that for thousands of years. I have 30 minutes, all right? So here we go. Let's stand together as we read uh, the word the Lord's given to us. Genesis chapter 1. The word of the Lord begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came, and then morning the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the water he called the seas and God said that it was, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the, great, the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning the fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and then morning, the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl in the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. 
God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you especially for this morning and this opening chapter of the Bible. I pray this morning we would have a bigger view of who you are when we walk out of here. We would stand in awe of you who created the universe, and who created us. And as your Bible says, who knows us by name. May we never take that for granted. May we never lose sight of the glorious grace and mercy that is your love for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, there's a lot of things going on here, right? So uh, we, we don't have time to, to break down each day of creation and exactly what was created on that day and, and what that means. Um, we're going to really just look at three, three kind of big ideas that we learn about God out of this passage. Now, I find it really interesting that right off the bat, God gets no introduction. Did you notice that? Like there's there's no preface to the Bible. There may be in your, in your version of the Bible, but, but in the, the sacred text itself, there's no preface. There's no introduction. There's no, there, there's no paragraph or, or section introducing us to this God, this Yahweh of the Old Testament. Instead, we're just simply told, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and in reality, the rest of the Bible will tell us about this God. Will tell us about who He is, about what He's done. He'll be present in every story. We'll see Him next week as we look at the story of Adam and Eve. We'll see Him in a couple of weeks in the story of Satan and the fall. We'll see Him in the flood. We'll see Him at Babel. We'll see Him working mightily through. Some messed up folks that he uses in big ways like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. See, we're not given really any introduction. But right off the bat, we see something about God. And that is that we're, we're told or, or we're, 
we're shown that God is sovereign. Now, now sovereign's a big word, or kind of a big word, that simply means he doesn't answer to anyone. So God didn't have to ask anyone's permission in order to create the land, or the sea, or, or man, or woman. There was no one superintending his work. God said it, and it comes into being. As we talk about our sovereign God, it's, it's important at this point to, to remember that, that we have one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I know this is going to be confusing, and again, I don't have time to break down a, a complete theology of the Trinity here, um, but understand that the Bible lays out belief in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not as separate beings, but as three persons who make up the one God. And, and we see this illustrated in creation. So we're told in verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 2 we're told, now the earth was formless and empty, Dark, darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And you may ask, okay, so there's the, there's the Father and there's the Holy Spirit, where's the Son? Well, when we get to the New Testament, they give us, the, the New Testament writers give us some perspective over what's happening. For instance, in John's preface to his letter, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and you'll notice the, the word, Word, is capitalized there. That's a poetic way of him referring to Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and then look at this. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. That was John, and Paul, in the letter to the Colossians, will say this, talking about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. So while we see certainly that God is sovereign, he asks permission of no one to do what he desires. We also see here the way that the Godhead works in concert with one another. God speaking and, and the Son creating. We see that in Colossians 1, we see that, that God is not only the creator of all things, but he's also the sustainer. Meaning he holds our universe together. He keeps everything from falling apart. And that's important, because especially as we enter into a world and enter into a culture that wants to consistently deny the, the the presence of God, the, the existence of God. As we look at a society that seems to be devolving into chaos, we need to remind ourselves that our God is in control. And, and despite what Bette Midler's saying it, back in the 80s, right, God's not watching us from a distance. He didn't just kind of create everything and then set it all in motion and go, all right, kids, y'all go play. I'm just going to sit back here and watch. Man, things are getting out of control. No, that's not, that's not the way he, he's, the Bible will present God as being actively involved 
in minute details of our lives. So what if we were crazy enough to believe that God's actually in control? And as we'll see, the chaos that we're experiencing in our world now is nothing new. It's been happening for thousands of years. So don't believe the lies that say, well, it's never been this bad before. The difference is we just get to watch it unfold live on TV or on your smartphone, right? Our God is in control, even in the chaos. And if I had had one prayer for us as we walk through Genesis, it would be that we would see God's hand at work, even in the mess. And understanding that as out of control sometimes as things seem, God is still sovereign. He's still in control. He's still holding all this together. Second principle I want us to understand about, about God and about his creation out of, out of the book of Genesis is that God's creation is good. Now we see that all the way from, from verse 2 all the way down to verse 26. I'm not going to read all that again, but multiple times through that passage, we're told that God saw all that he had done and it was good. We're told that God looked at his work and it was good. Now, now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any um, stretch of the imagination, but I can read uh, dictionaries. And, and so what I learned um, is that the, this word that's used for good can, can also mean beauty, or it can even mean moral uprightness. So, so the creation in Genesis 1 is good, it, it's beautiful, it's well done, it's valuable, it's pure. And this is important because, as we'll see in chapter 3, this purity is broken the moment that sin enters into the equation. And yet, even in the brokenness of our world, we still experience the goodness of God's creation. We can still walk outside and marvel at the beauty of the mountains. I've shared this before. I grew up where there were no mountains. We had, we had a cap rock where you kind of dropped off the edge. That was the closest thing we had to mountains. So, like, we're almost four years in here, and I still walk out of my uh, front door in the morning, and I'm like, I get to look at mountains. This is so great. We, we get to marvel at sunsets. We get to experience the, the, the refreshing of a good, hard rain that even in the middle of maybe exposing roof leaks at your house, that we're still able to say, thank you, Lord, for, for refreshing the land. And while I think it's true that, that, as Paul wrote, we see through a mirror dimly right now, we still get to catch a glimpse of God's good creation. So the Bible tells us that we're made in the image of God, right? So, so that should cause us to, to stop and take a look at our own work. As we're created in the image of God and as followers of Christ, we're called to reflect his character. That means that, that we are to do good work as well. But I find this interesting, that of all the words that our sovereign God could have used, could, could have inspired Moses to write about this creation, and all the, the vocabularies of all the languages the, the word that he chose to describe creation was simply good. Didn't say it was marvelous, that it was outstanding or stupendous. It's simply good. You know, as I was looking at that, I was, I was struck by how often we're, 
we're tempted to try and elevate our own work or our own lives with fancy adjectives. When, when maybe we should strive to follow Christ and do work that is good. That caused me to stop and think, you know, with, with all the fancy adjectives that we want to try to bolster our work. You know, we have products that are amazing and products that are outstanding and products that will change your life. And then I, and then I paused and, and I, th- I thought, you know, how many children, their faces light up when you just simply say, good job. I think there's a sweetness in this simplicity of this, the description of God's creation. It's good. Which, which means, of course, that it's pure and it's right and it's sufficient. I wonder when the last time is that you just sat and thought about the goodness of God. When you sat and marveled at God's good creation and that in his grace we get to experience it. God has given us countless good gifts, and among those are his creation. We'll talk more about his gifts throughout this series. The last thing is simply this. God's grace is amazing. Now, now I know we're in the Old Testament, all right? So, so this is way before uh, Jesus' life and, and ministry and death and resurrection on our behalf. And, and yet, even in Genesis, we see something of God's grace. Isn't it amazing that even before sin enters into the world, even before the fall, we see the grace of God at work? And I think we see this, at least in this chapter, most clearly in the creation of mankind. And this is what the Bible says, verse 27. Actually, let's back up to 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth. And the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now here we see something about the uniqueness of mankind in all of creation. No other creation of God is said to be made in the image of God. And he comes to man and woman. It says, let us make them in our image. That means that, that we would say, as, as those who are followers of Christ, those who believe the Bible, that we have a unique place in God's creation. We say that not out of arrogance, but out of an understanding that, that with, um, with that uniqueness, with that privileged role, comes a lot of responsibility as well. We'll talk about that. Next, we're told that God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. We're told here that mankind is called to rule creation, not not domineering, but, but as a steward of what God has created. 
Now, I think this has implications for the way that we uh, take care of creation. Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to get in on climate change or whether or not it's a hoax or wh- whatever. But I simply see here that, that as those who are called to rule creation, those who are called to steward creation, we, we're to ask questions about how we're caring for the world around us. Now, there are some who would take this way too far and say, well, we are not going to procreate. Uh, We're not going to have children because we want to take care of the environment, which would be a direct violation of what God said here. Because the earth was created to serve us, not vice versa. And yet we are to take care of creation. Another principle that we can see here of of, uh, God's grace and the way he's ordered creation we see that God created mankind, male and female. We'll talk more about this next week when we get into uh, Adam and Eve. But what we see here is that gender is a gift. It's not a curse to rebel against. And I'll just lay my cards on the table and say what I think we see here is the gender binary in full force. Male and female. There are no, no Hermselfs here. In two weeks, we'll see where all the confusion and the chaos comes in and the great implications that it has for us. And, and yet, in Genesis 1, we see something about the way God designed creation to work. And here's the big one. Maybe, maybe among all the other things that we've lost, I think this one often gets lost in the shuffle because we, we can focus on so many more things that are wrong with our world other than this one. And we see this in chapter 2, verse 2. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work. God's plan, God's creation is designed with rest included. Now, that doesn't mean that we're fist-pounding Sabbatarians, right? That means on the seventh day, so, so typically that would be Saturday, right? That on Saturday, you can't walk more than two miles, and if so, I'm sorry, we have to stone you to death. That's not what I'm saying. What, what I am saying is that in order to experience the fullness of the life that God has for you, you need rest. I think we see this in the way that, that God designed our bodies, right? And that, that on average, we will sleep for one-third of our lives. We talked about how weak we are at the beginning. Is that not a, a, a signal of how weak we are? That on average, we will spend one-third of our lives completely unconscious. Some more, right? Some way less, but on, on average. And we live in a world right now that doesn't understand rest, right? Because rest means um, a lack of productivity. And we have all kinds of, of devices, which if you remember when computers were first built, they were built as time-saving devices. I think we were lied to because they've become life-sucking devices. I, just, I think Genesis 1 is so important. 
because we see something about the, the order of creation before everything blew up. And so when we talk about marriage, when we talk about gender, when we talk about um, the, the, the roles of, of man and, and woman, when we talk about work, when we talk about rest, we're not talking about things that occurred because of a curse of the fall. We're talking about God's original design. And the way God designed creation for human flourishing. And the fact that he oversees it all, that his desire was to walk with us day in and day out. Again, we'll talk more about that next week. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But what we'll see throughout this series that even in that moment when Adam and Eve said, you know what, we don't like this anymore. We're, we, we don't think, God, that your way is the best way anymore. We are, we are going to follow our hearts here. God could have very easily said, I'm done with you. And yet he didn't. He poured out his grace in an amazing way to his people. So as we begin this series, let us see the goodness of God that's expressed in this, in this opening chapter. We serve a good God. We serve a God who created everything perfect. Now, we know it didn't stay that, long, that way for long, but we see that he, from the beginning, he created and he loves us deeply. And throughout this book, we're going to see... We're going to see characters. We're going to see characters who made good decisions and, and characters who made really, really bad decisions. We're going to, we're going to focus on uh, some of the blessings that God's people got to experience, or we're going, to, we're going to focus on some of the chaos that resulted because they didn't follow God's plan. But we also need to know that, that even though we're in Genesis, we look through this book to a man from a little town of Nazareth who came as one to set right what had been broken, who came to restore God's people to Genesis 1 and 2 with the promise that, that while that we'll never experience that fully in this life, we have the promise that one day everything will be set right. We'll focus on the dramatic links that God went to show his immense love for the people he created. A glimpse of that is simply in Romans 5.8. Paul says, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Genesis, we see a glimpse of, in Genesis 1 and 2, we see a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. Perfect relationship with God, perfect relationships with one another. We can marvel in God's goodness and his grace, knowing that even though we don't experience that right now, the, the promise for those who, who trusted in Christ is that one day, one day everything will be set back. 
what was broken will be made undone. Or as one author said, I believe it was Tolkien in Lord of the Rings, said that everything sad will come untrue. If you're here today and you don't know this Jesus that we've talked about, if you don't, if you've not experienced his grace in your life, I want to invite you to, to reflect on the goodness of God this morning. The way God's ordered our creation and, and the great love that he has for us. And even though we, we don't experience that now, as we'll, we'll talk about it in, over the next several weeks, God sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty of sin and death that we deserved. Through his death on the cross, he died the death that the Bible said we deserved so that we might experience eternal life with, with God in a place called heaven where everything is set right. If you'd like to know more about that, I'd love to visit with you. Let's pray and just thank God for his goodness to us. Father, I stand in awe of your creation. I stand in awe that you're in control, and, and even when it looks like our, our world is spinning out of control and people want to tell us that things are, are the worst they've ever been, we know that's simply not true. We know, we know that you're working in powerful ways that a lost and dying world simply doesn't understand. We see it all the time. And I thank you that even in the chaos of our world, we still have uh, things like mountains, and stars and rain and oceans that proclaim your goodness. I pray that in this book of Genesis that through it you shape and mold our understanding of who you are. You help us understand who we are. You help us understand the way our world is, the, is why it is. That through it all, we would come to understand that you are a good, loving Father who doesn't look at us in disappointment, who doesn't look at us in, in anger and in rage, but as a loving Father looks at his children. I pray as we come to understand your goodness, as Paul wrote in Romans, that would lead us to repentance. Your kindness would lead us to abandon sins that we've held on to. Because we see your goodness and we see that you take broken things and you heal them and you make them beautiful. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for what you've done for us and sending Christ Jesus to be our Savior. We ask all these things in his mighty, powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you this week.